Have you ever wondered, is there more to the Word of God than just words on the page? Join us for an in-depth journey into the truth of God by means of open, Socratic conversation. In Proverbs chapter 2, the Word of God says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed. Well, Sean, just another opportunity to share the truth of God. How are you feeling this fine morning? Feeling good. I'm just sharing with you that don't drink a ton of sugar before you go to bed, and then you learn that that's why you stay up most of the night. But I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek, but no, I'm feeling good, doing well, and this is another good one. Well, we'll see what Mother has and uh, (coughs) what's going to come out. And it is interesting because is your faith beyond a shadow of a doubt? And this is, this is important. And we can speak this not just to uh, Christians, but to other religions in the world as well. Because God doesn't leave any guesswork in, you, you have enough information within the Bible itself that it's all laid out and it's laid out multiple times over and over again. The concept of Messiah uh, and being the salvation that, that him being the one righteous one will lead uh, the people into the kingdom. You have that uh, repeated by uh, you have Noah doing it with the flood. You have um, Moses or not Moses, uh, Joshua doing it you you, each thing that god wants us to get is repeated multiple times within the bible throughout different scriptures and throughout different people's lives using david as an example using abraham as an example you just using the prophets and uh, what the prophet spoke and all those different things coming from various different angles, but all compiling to the same information. Uh, and God wants there to be enough information for you to be behind a shadow of a doubt. In the world, we have this term is used when juries in uh, court cases are given their instructions. And part of the instruction is that uh, you don't find somebody guilty if there is a shadow of a doubt. Okay. And ultimately what that terminology means, it means convinced. But in order to, for something for you to be convinced It has to be beyond a shadow of a doubt. 
So let's just take it to the worldly real quick. And we'll say doubt is an object. Okay. And, and doubt is in a lit room. That doubt standing tall is going to cast a shadow. Correct? That doubt at half its height will still cast a shadow. The shadow is only half its height, but the shadow is still there. The only way for a shadow to disappear and you could look at this, you have to have light encompassing it, which means light coming at it from all different angles where then there is no shadow. Or from this perspective, it's gone. There is no shadow because there's a light of truth and it's shining one direction And any little tiny bit of doubt that sticks up is going to cast a shadow. And so it's very important that, like with court cases, they want you to be convinced. If you're going to convict somebody of a crime, you know, innocent people have been convicted of crimes, and you have uh, times where, somebody may have a bias within them. And you know, that, that movie we watched the 12 angry men, um, which is based in a court case uh, perspective and their, uh, their biases from things in their lives had, had affected their initial thoughts and decisions until they, each one of them started to recognize that, they had a shadow of a doubt and then eventually all 12 instead of arguing against or 11 arguing against the one who uh, was bringing in the doubt, they all recognized that in the end that he was right. So, you know, we, we can't say he didn't do it, but we can't say he did do it. And so, there's a shadow of a doubt, and if there's a shadow of a doubt, he's got to be. We're we're not saying innocent. See, a, a uh, aspect that comes from the court is not innocent; it's not guilty. And so, that's the the objective goal of faith. And I, uh, you want your faith to be secure like it says we have this hope as an anchor that it secures you it's locked in that means that there's you are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that's where you've removed all the doubt when it pertains to that perspective when we talk about having faith in God for salvation, then beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, that doesn't mean that there are going to be other things in faith 
in the journey that because of your humanness, you don't understand and you consign yourself to uh, the agreement of God because they said it or they're going to do it or the Bible says. So you you go in agreement with that, but you might have doubt about how something's going to happen. You You can say, I know God is going to, you know, the Bible says, ask, seek, and knock. God's going to do this. I ask him for it. God's going to do this. I'm not sure how. So we have to understand that it's about the faith in God. The, The trust in God is what we are aiming to have beyond a shadow of a doubt. How do we do that? Because, again, when we say, when people hear us say on the podcast that I know my faith in God, okay, just for clarification, they need to know that what we're saying is, is that I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. And when we are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, then we have the fullness of faith. We have that faith in whatever it is that we're convinced of. But you can have faith in something and be convinced of it beyond a shadow of a doubt, and it could still be wrong. Innocent people have been put in jail. Guilty people have been set free because of this aspect of being convinced. And you can be convinced because some something happened in your past that gave you a bias, and oh, they're guilty. That's it. Or you know, sometimes I uh, somebody comes at you, could be your wife or a coworker, or whatever, and you automatically, well, they did that on purpose. Well, do you know they did it on purpose? Did they really have the intention? behind it or did it just strike a nerve with you and then you you uh, gave them guilt beyond a shadow of a doubt i know i'm convinced that this person did this but then you may sit down and have a conversation and say hey when you brought this up and you said this what did you mean and they give you a completely different explanation than what you were thinking in your mind you still had a you still had you made them guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt, but it was because you were convinced. And so we have to be careful of what we're letting convince us of things because of this aspect of a shadow of a doubt. And this faith in God, having faith in the existence of God and the knowing that they are, uh, they are perfect and uh, they will always do what's best for you, that, uh, that it's going to bring you salvation as you continue in it. Those are things that are intended for you to have beyond a shadow of a doubt. And it's really important that this concept is taken in and understood by those who are seeking God with all of their heart because it's a necessary aspect for you to make sure 
what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it. And you're doing it in a way that there's not even the shadow of a doubt. And again, just reiterating that shadow of a doubt, if doubt exists even to the smallest degree, there's going to be a shadow. It doesn't say, oh, well, until there's a, a itsy-bitsy tiny shadow of a doubt. No, it says beyond a shadow of a doubt, which means the removal of doubt that you're convinced. So how do we do that? How do we get to that point of having the aspect beyond a shadow of a doubt? The same way that in court cases, the jury is supposed to do the same thing. And what is that, Sean? You have to weigh the evidence. And I have a background, some background in litigation from insurance work. And you can, there's another term for this, and it means the same thing that you're talking about. It's beyond a reasonable doubt, which reasonable meaning we're going to reason this evidence that we have in front of us that makes sure that because before any case is going to go before a jury, the prosecution or the defense is not going to sit there and be like, well, we'll just, we have no evidence to come in. We'll just talk. It's like, no one, the prosecution is going to say, Hey, we've got this amount of evidence and we're going to prove that they're guilty. And the defense is going to say, well, you may think that, but we've got our own experts because we, when I did this, you would have experts on both sides. You would have the expert for the defense who says the medical examiner, and then you'd have the other one. So you would look and we would actually, what with the insurance company that I worked for at the time, we would actually have attorneys that would work for the insurance company that would get their own experts. And we would really weed through and know ones that we wanted to get as experts because we knew that they would favor insurance. So we would go there and then the other side would get their own experts. And most of the time one side would say one thing to favor and it would say the other, and then the jury has to decide. I actually had this go through my mind, never thought about this scripture this way, but in Romans, it mentions that talking about that mankind is without excuse, that it says, although they knew God, and we were talking about this the other night that for you to say that you know something for sure, that means that you are convinced. And not only are you convinced that you have the proof of it, like right now I know you're sitting here because there's overwhelming proof that you're breathing, you're talking. Um, I can sit here and touch your leg, you're there. So I know because I'm, I, I see the fullness of you right now. And it made me think of how beautiful God did this, that it's about faith because they give their creation their creation is there and their invisible qualities such as morality, things like that, truth and justice, their invisible qualities have made known by creation so that mankind is without excuse. So when you see creation, you know God because the proof of God's existence is in their creation. Just like you have a company, let's just say Coke or Pepsi, how, what's your proof 
that Coke and Pepsi exist because you have the beverage of Coke. You can taste the Coke. You can taste the Pepsi. You know the difference in the taste. And no, Coke doesn't exist. Well, it does because you're you're tasting it. You you smell it. You feel it. All this other stuff. So the knowing part of it is when you have the absolutely uh, full proof of it right in front of you. And the thing is, is that we are in the process. We are convinced of the faith that we have, but there's still faith involved because we don't have the fully perfected state where we can be in God's presence in their fullness to where we can say we know God. And that's the difference between us and the enemy of God that and the demons that they were in heaven with God. So for them, when they see God like that, it's not faith for them because they're, they know God, they're in God's presence. So when they fell, they couldn't come back because there's no faith for them because there's no ignorance. There's no, well, we didn't know God existed. We didn't know. And no, you're there with God and you chose to turn. And it's the same way for us that once you're convinced and you have that proof, if you turn from it, you can't go back to repentance again because you've, you've come to a part where you've known God to a point, but you're not fully there because you're not perfected. And it made me think of this aspect of, like you're saying with the beyond the reasonable doubt that we have plenty of evidence that Yah through their evidence are convincing. But the problem is it's not God. We're the issue and not necessarily me and you, but people are the issue because you have to do your part in order to be convinced of what's in front of you. And with the jury, they have all this evidence in front of them and it's their job to look through not just one or two pieces of evidence, but all the evidence. So we don't leave out Hebrews. We don't leave out the old Testament, all of it. Look at all of it. Don't pick and choose evidence because it makes you feel good or leave evidence out because well, I don't want to look at those pictures of the dead body. Cause that, that makes me feel, no, we need to look at it because this wound or this, whatever position the body was in, just using that as a physical example, we need that because that's part of what we're going to look at here in that movie that we watched about a year ago, 12 angry men. There's a couple versions, but those listening, you may, if you haven't seen it, it it's a, interesting movie to check out. It's called 12 Angry Men, and it's about a, a group of jurors that are meeting together to talk about a, a case of a boy that was uh, accused of killing his father. And you really get to see how each bias and prejudice comes in with what they're talking about. They go through the movie, each give their arguments, and you can see as it goes that they're in the process of convincing each other but then as you see one by one, each one is convinced and then more information will be given in and then they're convinced. And then until they're at the point where they're all absolutely convinced, they don't go out and give their verdict because if we, we've got to have a, a unified agreement here, and that's the thing with God that Yah is unified, that if you don't have the fullness of all the evidence in the right order, then you're not going to be convinced. Like you've got to go in the order that God has it so that you can go through this process. But I actually hadn't thought about it until you mentioned that, that you can have, you can be fully convinced, but then you're not 
you're fully convinced of something that's false. So it's really so important. And this really spoke to me the other night when we were walking that change your mind to not depend on people to convince you. Now, somebody can convince you giving you God's truth, but it's really you being convinced of the truth. And by talking to Yah and verifying with them, that will convince you. It's not saying that we don't, because the word says that one will plant, one will water, but Yah gives the increase. So we are to convince, but in order for the other person to be convinced, they have to accept what God is giving. If we can be have have such convincing that this is the truth, and if you don't repent, and if you don't do this, but if the other person says, hmm, I'm not convinced, you haven't showed me enough. Well, there's nothing else I can show you. Well, uh, I just, it's not enough for me. Well, there's nothing we can do to convince somebody else, but we do have the task of convincing to put the information out there. But just like if we were, for example, if we were to be a defense attorney or a, the prosecutor and we stand before the jury and we give our information and I've given it, I've given you the DNA evidence. I've given you the photos. I've given you the witness reports. We've got video of it and it's in your hands to look at it. And are you convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt? Or do you still need more information? And then it's in their hands and you have to make the decision. And what was interesting on this movie was you never really knew if the person did it or not. Sometimes you can have clear video that, all right, we have video footage that shows the person and we know beyond any shadow of a doubt because we see the person actually committing the crime. So we're convinced because we have the absolute proof. But a lot of times we don't have that. Yes, well, are, are you convinced or do you know when you've seen it with your own eyes? You would know that that's correct. And that's the thing just came to mind with, um, Stephen, that he was absolutely convinced of the truth. But when he saw Abba and Ema on the throne, oh my gosh, I see God on their throne. Well, I know now. And that's the thing, like when you know, and that's what Yah was saying is you can't see my face because when you see my face, you know me. And if you know me, there's no more faith at that point and you die. So if I were to come to you, Moses, face to face, then faith is taken away from you because you know me now and you'll die. And I'm going to protect you because there's a time when you will know me. But until my son comes and does his work and brings in my beloved circumcision of the heart, that's at the point when you're perfected that you can see me face to face because you can see my back that you can see part of me. But the, cause think about it to really, if I'm being honest with myself, Phil, I can't know you if I've not seen you face to face. If I talk to you over the internet or if I talk to you on the phone or text you, or even if I'm talking to you and you're away from me, I would say, Phil, why don't you turn around so I can see you? No, no, I don't want you to see me. Well, how can I know what you look like? No, you, you see what I look like. No, I don't. Cause the face is how you get connection. Like you, if I look into your eyes, it says in the, it says in the word that like you see into the window of the soul, like you see, you look at somebody eye to eye, you connect with that person. But yeah, we're not walking around. And that's the thing you know, I was going to say, we're not walking around, not looking at somebody in the eye, but how many times have you done this? 
you're talking to somebody and you say, why are you not looking me in the eyes? Why are you looking away? What's going on here? But this is so important with faith that faith is still around because we're not, we don't fully know God yet. So there's still faith until we see them face to face. But in regards to having circumcision of the heart, having the fullness of faith itself, that you've got to come to that in order to be able to have the opportunity to see Yah face to face, which really, I guess, when when the books are open and everybody, they get to see God face to face. But to those that didn't have faith in God, you're going to be ushered away to the abyss and those that have will get into the kingdom. But the point is, is to be absolutely convinced because the word of God says, this is being written to you to make your calling and election sure. Meaning make sure that it's, you're sure in it. And if you don't, then there's more information. There's more work you need to do, meaning work that you're, there's more seeking God, asking for help, finding the fullness of it. But that's the thing. And and this scripture will be pulled out at times. People will pull out Hebrews 11, the quote faith chapter, but look what it says in the very first verse there. Now faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. That's you're convinced because I've experienced God. I've heard the voices of God. They've conversated with me. I've had conversation with them. For example, I've spoken in tongues. I've gotten revelation. I've had dreams. I've had visions. I've spoken in tongues. I've done, I, I am convinced of this, but until the meeting face to face, we won't know there. There's still things that we don't know, but the, I'm seeing the main point of this is, is that true faith in God isn't about you walking around being thrown back and forth, tossed by the waves, because in the word it says that if you're double-minded, you're just like waves being tossed back and forth. Don't think that you're going to receive anything from Yah at all. Yah wants us to, to be convinced of our faith, because if we're not, then we're going to walk around not speaking with authority. Well, I think this, well, I believe this, well, this could be true. That's not speaking with authority. We know that Messiah didn't walk around saying, well, I think my father's righteous and I think your father's the devil. I'm not sure, but he could be. So you know what? I'm thinking that your father's the devil. No, it's knowing the truth or being convinced of the truth and actually knowing it when you experience it. You can't get any better confidence because you know. And that's the thing. We had watched some videos recently and just listening to people that uh, I'm finding for myself that listening is such a a great tool, not only for other people, but for yourself on what you're actually saying before you say it, as you're saying it, that people will tell on themselves and we tell on ourselves too. And there's times where we'll correct ourselves. But when somebody makes a statement, well, I believe well, if you believe, are you convinced? Well, there's two words that tell you somebody's expressing opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think and I believe are those two words. And you'll hear those a lot when people talk, even just in worldly things, when somebody's not exactly sure, well, I think that this is where I think that you did this or this person did that. And 
but do you know? Well, scripture just came to mind. Remember the man that he said to Messiah, Yeshua, he said, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And from what I remember from that, I think he may have healed the man's child. Well, how did he, how did Yah help with his unbelief? Well, do you see the proof that you can believe in me? Because who would be able to heal a child other than the hand of God? That the evidence was he wasn't convinced until he goes back home and and actually let me rephrase what what i said he was convinced that yah could do it but he still had some doubt involved because lord i know you can do this Uh, i'm convinced you can do this but i just give me something so i can really know and okay the the healing is done so do you oh my gosh well you are god well how about the aspect that he had both? He knew, but he had doubt. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'll explain where I'm coming from with that. So he had been around. He had heard and he had also seen Messiah heal other people. So he knew Messiah had the ability to heal other people. But his doubt was whether he would heal his son or not. Or his, yeah, it was his son. Whether he would heal his son or not. And so that's where I believe, help me with my unbelief, that I believe that you have the power, or actually I know that you have the power because I've seen you do it. I've seen you. I actually have proof, not evidence. I have proof because you actually put your hands on somebody and they were healed. Now, the evidence in that is the evidence of the existence of God. But for Messiah healing people, it was proven that he healed and it was documented that he laid hands on many people and they were healed in that process. And so with that, with that aspect of, I believe, help me with my unbelief. He was saying, I I know you can do this. I'm convinced that you can do this, but I'm not sure you're going to do it for me. And so help me with my unbelief. Okay. And Messiah said, okay, not only now, and he wasn't he would be convinced of the existence of God, but he would know the healing of his son. So there's a balance in the midst of it. And this will go back to, you had made a statement about uh, not knowing, we don't know until we see God, but then you did, uh, you put it in perspective of, you know, well, we don't know fully. Well, that goes to scripture of Paul speaking where he says that we we know in part, so we prophesy in part. But then, in the in that day, we will know fully as we are fully known. So we there are things about God that we can know, and there are things that we're not 
able to know. We're not able to know the face of God. But look at Moses, where God allowed to see the back of him as he walked by. And that would be uh, something for anybody that might have an argument that, well, God doesn't have a body. There's there's a, just a, uh, a spiritual being. And yeah, well, they, they, they have spirit just like we do, but they have a body. And the difference is, is their body is perfect. Ours is not. Their body is immortal. Ours is, is not. How could Moses see the, the silhouette back of God if God doesn't have a body? And so the, the objective is, is that well, I know. I know God exists because I just saw him. But I don't know him fully because I haven't got to have that face-to-face, that personal face-to-face, where we get a face-to-face with Yah, and we can talk to Yah, and Yah will talk to us, but we have the uh, dividing wall of Messiah that not really divides, but he gives us the ability that through him we speak to Yah face-to-face, but we don't get to uh, we don't get to see the face of Yah. So we have <clears throat> those conversations. And so faith is about knowing as well as being convinced because when you're convinced and then God starts talking to you, I know that was God. And how do I know it? I know it because it lines up with uh, logic. It lines up with what is right, fair, and just. It lines up with what the Bible says. And it lines up with when it, whenever they talk to me. And so uh, all of those things, I know that that's the voice of God. Well, I'm still convinced. But this is where we have to be careful because the demons uh, wander around as angels of light. And so they have the ability to talk to you as well, as well as Satan does. And if you can't weigh the evidence, if you can't weigh it against truth and what's right and what the Bible says, because you can't just say, well, the Bible says this. What good is that? Because it was penned by man and man has changed it multiple times because we don't just have one version of the Bible. We have a bunch of different versions and this is not getting into a thing of which one is right and which one is wrong. None of them are because they were penned by man. There were things that were changed for translational purposes that shouldn't have been changed or they were changed and the only one that can help you to see it clearly is mother giving you that when you have mother in your heart. And I know the difference between not having mother in my heart and having mother in my heart. We couldn't do what we're doing here now uh, without mother in our heart. Now, we could do it to a degree by mother coming upon us, but mother in our heart, and we know what it's like to have mother in your heart. We know that. Have we seen her in her uh, in her perfected body? No. We haven't seen Messiah in his perfected body. 
when he was here, he was still human. But he was when he was here, the objective goal was that he was going to give the evidence of the existence of God. He was here to just his being here was evidence of him being the son of God because who else, and this is documented from a historical perspective, who else in any time frame from the beginning till now has fulfilled every prophecy about the son of God? He's the only one, and that's that's historically documented of when his birth was, where he was born, where he moved to, and the, the different things of, you know, and it shows you how he became, uh, you know, he was going to be born in Bethlehem, but then he became a Nazarite. Well, that means they had to live in Nazareth for a time. And so all the things compiled come together. And it, here's the thing. You have times where you have proof and you have times where you're convinced. They're two separate things. Okay, proof is knowing, evidence is convincing. So when you weigh the evidence of the created world, the not just the trees and the grass and how they continue to produce the exact same kind, uh, an oak tree over the years has never produced anything other than an oak tree. Same thing with a maple tree. And without man trying to intervene and uh, cross seeds and that type of stuff, those seeds will always be, if it's an oak tree, it will always be an oak tree. Well, that within itself automatically removes the evolutionary process because once that tree produces a seed, within that seed is every generation that comes after that will be the exact same thing, that that's the, the creation of it. So there's intricate detail within it. You know, how many things have to be exactly right for you to be able to hear with that uh, perfect hearing or have that 2020 vision in your eyes? There's so many intricacies that have to be just so and precisely set in place that it has to be by design. The fact that you know, different things with the body. The fact that you can uh, you can take sodium chloride into your body, which is a mixture of sodium and chlorine, but you can't just drink chlorine. Well, well, why is that? Because the intricate detail of the body, the chemistry, and if you look into chemistry, it, it's... It's pretty expansive in the mixes and what you can mix and what what when you mix this together, okay, it can go in the body. But it's like if you take just oxygen air in a syringe and stick it in your vein and pump and just push it into your vein. No, you can't do that. But you breathe the air in. Your lungs take the oxygen out of the air, and then your your heart pumps blood to your lungs, and it picks up the oxygen and carries it through the, the body. But you can't just go about doing these things the way you 
want to do them because the body has a design. And those are the things that are the evidence of God's existence. In order for somebody to be convinced, you have to, one, look at the evidence, and then you have to decide, is it plausible evidence? Because I can look at evolution from this same perspective and say that I am the complete opposite of convinced with evolution for many different things. The aspect of the seed that was brought up, that that oak tree seed without man's inter- without man intervening and trying to put another seed with it, that seed comes out of that tree, it goes in the ground, it will produce an oak tree, and it has from the beginning, and it always will until the, the, uh, till the end of time as we know it. And so God has the evidence there. But in order for evidence to be good for you, one, it has to be compiled. So don't just go to one source. And then you have to accept the evidence. It's no different than a court case. If you're on a jury, you go to a, in the court, you're collecting the evidence. And in your mind, you're ciphering through it as to, well, that didn't sound or that, that right there wasn't enough for me to say that, that that's evidence that somebody did something. Uh, I've got to have more than that. And, and so that's what the attorney's perspective is is one side's trying to give you evidence that they didn't do it and the other side's trying to give you evidence that they did do it. If you have eyewitness, that's not evidence. That's proof. But how many times somebody was an eyewitness but they misconstrued what they saw, or maybe they they had vision problems and they didn't see exactly what they saw because sometimes your mind will formulate things. And so they give this story that convinces and then an innocent man goes to jail. And with faith, your faith is way too important for you to go to jail because that jail is eternal and you cannot escape from it. And this is why you need to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because, the again, the uh, evidence is what you use to be convinced. But once you're convinced, then, and it is, you know, like with the jury, beyond a reasonable doubt, okay? Let me give a quick. Uh, perspective of that. Well, he just looks like he'd kill somebody. That's not a reasonable doubt because murder has no look. A lot of times murder happens from somebody that you would look at and, oh, he's innocent. There's no way he would have done something like that. Let's look at how 
how calm and soft and uh, gentle he is. And he would never do anything like that. But in a fit of rage, he did. And so you, there's a lot of things that you have to take into consideration. And the first thing you have to do is remove your personal biases, which is without faith in God is an absolute impossibility. No matter what you do, whatever you make a judgment on without true faith in God, you're going to have biases within your subconscious that you don't even recognize are driving you in that direction. It could just be a hatred for men. It could be a hatred for women. It could be a hatred or, or a dislike because uh, they have blonde hair and uh, you got rejected by somebody who was blonde. Or, you know, there's, there's so many different things that can play into it. And you have to be uh, objective. You, you, you have to make sure to the best of your ability that you're clearing everything out of personal bias, and then I'm going to weigh the evidence. Because ultimately, that's the only way anybody's going to find the true faith in God, is when they say, you know what? I've been taught in the Christian church, or I've been taught in the Muslim religion, or the, the Hindu, or uh, I, I, I've, been, I've been raised in an atheist perspective. You know what? I'm going to weigh the evidence. I'm going to look into it because even a prominent Hindu person took note of Messiah. So they, they take note of Messiah, but who has a claim other than the Orthodox uh, Jew, who has a claim that anybody in their uh, background has fulfilled Every prophecy prophesied in the Bible of the Son of Man, and the Bible wasn't, we might say, well, if the, the Bible was written after, the Old Testament was written after Messiah came, so yeah, they just formulated that, but that's not the way it was. It, it was written, and these stories were put down long before they were in the scrolls, and before any Bible as we know it existed, the scrolls existed before Messiah came. And in those scrolls were the uh, prophetic message of the coming of the Son of God, what it was going to be like, who he's going to be, all the way up to and through his death and resurrection. It was all prophesied in there and historically proven. And yet we still have people who don't believe he was the son of God. And there might be people who believe he's the son of God, but don't believe in him. There's many people that believe God exists and they can do it by looking at the creation, but they choose not to acknowledge God. They choose to ignore God and so they're turned over to a depraved mind. So with the aspect of evidence, you will have things in faith that will happen with you that God will make it clear to you, the, the knowing of your faith. But it wouldn't be faith 
if we knew it all, if we saw God face to face. And this is one of the reasons why we cannot, I don't care if somebody wants, and we've heard this before, people want to say, prove to me God exists, and then I'll believe. Well, it's an impossibility because if I prove to you God exists, you can't have faith. And if you can't have faith, you can't be pleasing to God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we don't get the proof of God until after we have the faith in God, after we are convinced before we get proof by weighing the evidence that of creation and things that happen and read it in the Bible and is my life lining up with the Bible? And when you align those things and you start to accept the evidence, that's when you can start to compile it. Okay, you you can't compile evidence if you're rejecting it because you're throwing it away. You don't compile things. You're throwing it into the trash bin. So, no, you have to accept the evidence. And you have to then weigh it. And what do you do? Don't weigh it by just the Bible and what the Bible says. Weigh it by the reality of what what it means for God to be God. Weigh it through conversation with God. Weigh it through the reality and the understanding of what really is right, true, fair, and just. And then that will give you the greatest ability and opportunity to use that evidence to be fully convinced. And remember, when we're convinced, it's still by faith that we can say, well, I know this faith I have. Well, I know that I have faith. And I am convinced that my faith is in God. But there are a lot of people out there that have convinced themselves on what man has taught and what man has said. And, well, see, the Bible says this, and so it means this, but not weighing it against the reality and truth of God. And the key factor is if you want the evidence and be able to compile the evidence and you want to be able to line it all up, seek God with all of your heart. That is the objective goal where you will seek God out for you'll read something in the Bible and you'll see another place where it seems contradictory. And so God, help me to see this. Help me to understand this. Help me to, okay. And then you get that understanding of how those two scriptures actually go together and they don't contradict. Well, that's a little piece of proof of the existence of God, because God's not going to give us something that's going to be contradictory that removes them being perfect to God. And so just things like that, that are really important as we look at this aspect of evidence and being convinced and knowing, because we will know in part as we are known, but in the day that we're Uh, standing before God, we will then fully know as we are fully known. See, we're fully known to God because they're perfect. Fully known as to what I've already done in my life is already fully known to God. They don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. They may know what I'm going to be challenged with, 
but the decisions are still mine. And so when they, uh, when we do something, then God knows what we're going to do in that situation. They can use discernment and say, well, in the past, Sean's done this and he's done this and he's done this. So we're convinced that he's going to do this. But until you actually do it, they're still convinced once you, once they actually do it, now they know that you did it. And so we only know God in part, and that's why we prophesy in part. We want to get to the point in the kingdom where we get that beauty of being fully known and fully knowing God in that process. I'm going to take this back to the courtroom as I had this go through my mind using a physical example to understand the spiritual. The word actually says in Hebrews, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us put aside every weight and the sin that easily ensnares us and run the race of endurance that is set before us, the faith in Messiah. You can't get any better witness than God themselves. Think about the Old Testament. Before we have any writings in the, what's referred to as the New Testament, when Messiah, writing about Messiah, that you have the father and mother, Abba and Ema, are witnesses to what happened with Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and the kings and all of that. Messiah comes on the scene. Abba and Ema are still there. Yeshua is on the scene now. He's a witness to this. They're a witness to it. You have the prophets. You have the disciples. You have all these witnesses that know God, and not fully, but because they've been through the experiences. Yah has seen all of this, so you can't, and we mentioned this before, you can't get any better advocate for your faith than God, because think about a courtroom or you have the judge. All right. You have the attorney, you have the witnesses and you have the one that's put on trial. Well, the word of God mentions about somebody bringing a charge against God's elect who can bring a charge against God's elect. It's God who justifies. You can bring a charge, but we're not here to defend ourselves. Uh, Let God defend us because I'm walking in the truth of God. Let them speak on my behalf. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What does it matter if anybody judges us? Like even Paul said, I don't even judge myself because I'm doing what's right before God. And if I know I'm doing what's right, who does it matter what anybody thinks of me? And when you had mentioned weighing the evidence, I just had the thought of judging because how many people that claim faith in God are convinced that you don't judge people. Not only do you judge people, it's a must to judge people. Certainly those inside the church, we will judge now outside the church. God will judge those people, but you can't go through life without judging. What Messiah was saying was, is that be careful how you judge, because in the way you judge, it will be measured back to you. Don't make a judgment on somebody that you're going to hell. Well, when you do that, you're putting yourself in the place of God. 
So therefore, God will come back to you and say, what about you? Why did you condemn this person to hell? That's not in, within your authority. Why did you do that? You're condemning yourself by doing that. So be careful. He's just saying you're going to judge, but be careful how you judge, because if you judge with mercy, then God will judge you with mercy. If you have mercy, if you're merciful, then mercy will be shown back to you. So be careful what you do. And it even go, it goes back to the golden rule. Be careful what you're doing because you're judging somebody else if you're pointing the finger. So just be careful. It's not that you don't point the finger, but just point the finger at yourself first. So judge not lest you're going to be judged because the woman caught in adultery, they're judging her. And Messiah says, okay, you want to judge her this way? You want to be God? Okay. So God doesn't sin. So before you, but you're before this woman here and go ahead and throw the first stone. If you've not sinned, if anybody's without sin, then that means you could be God. So go ahead and judge her. And they drop the stones because they know that they, they had sin. Messiah was in the position that he could have stoned her because he was without sin. Hey, but what do I choose to do? The thing that's better for you and for us is I desire mercy. So I'm going to show mercy on you. I'm not going to condemn you because if you're under sin, you're condemned already. So I'm going to show you mercy. And my mercy is leave your life of sin or something worse is going to happen. And it made me think of this concept of the courtroom that when we stand before God, we don't have to justify ourselves to God. If you have the fullness of faith that Messiah says, my father, this one belongs to me. All right, come into the kingdom. You don't need to speak. You don't need to. It's not that you couldn't say anything to God, but in your humility, you know that, hey, I've been found not guilty by God. I know that I'm not innocent because I know I've sinned in the past. So I'm guilty and God, you've removed my guilt. So there's nothing I can say other than thank you for your, your mercy, your grace. But the person that's trying to justify themselves before God is because you know that you still have sin and therefore you're trying to justify yourself. And how well does it work to go into a courtroom without an attorney on your behalf? They'll say, no, don't go before the judge without an attorney. You're going to be foolish. You're going to be, no, I'll go before the judge. No, don't. You don't know the law. Don't go before the judge. You need an advocate. And that's Messiah for us is I'm the advocate. Okay. So I'll speak on your behalf. Now we'll get to a point where, yes, you can go up to the judge and speak face to face. We're, we're not at that point yet, but until then, no, don't, don't go before my father yet because that, that's not your place yet, but you will get there. And it just made me think of people would be like, hey, you can't, don't go in there without an attorney. You're, it's just like a, I wouldn't say it's like a, a death sentence, but we know how to speak. Not that this is right, but they will speak to the judge in different ways, but Messiah is going to speak to Abba and Ima in a fair and just way. And when he says this belongs to me, okay, then you can, but get away from me. I never knew you. Well, what's the judge going to say to that? Get away from me. Oh no, you can come on in. No, no, I agree with my son. Get away. You had sin. Don't, don't come before me. And the whole point of this was thinking as I'm speaking is Yah has seen all of this. And there's no better witness. And even mentions in the word, there's three that, that testify. You have the spirit, the water, and the blood. And it's talking about Yah. That we have such great witnesses that have seen this and Yah knows. So 
make sure that you make a decision to seek God with all your heart and continue in that, and you'll find the fullness of faith. And then on the day of judgment, we don't have to fear. Uh, we can have confidence, which confidence doesn't mean you're arrogant. It just means, wow, I'm confident that I can stand before God because I don't have sin. I have faith in Messiah, so I can stand before God. I'm able to stand before the judge and be able to speak. But how much of this, how many people are convinced that they have the faith and then you stand before the witnesses and they say, just like the parable of the wedding banquet and the parable of the wedding garment, how did you get in here? Bind them hand and foot and get them out of here. You don't have the proper clothes. You don't have the righteousness of God, which is being in Messiah. How did you get in here without the proper clothes that you're not supposed to be here? Because we have all these witnesses that know the wedding garment, which is faith in God, and you don't have it. So therefore, get out. And this is just another, just another, I'm seeing this as another aspect of Yah using the physical of the court system and litigation to where you can put this to faith in God that there's a jury and it's all these witnesses that are watching and seeing and God themselves that we know what this is. We've seen this, that no, I'm, I'm, we're convinced that this one, just like with Judas, it wasn't like God was flipping a coin and up oh, Judas was chosen. It was, we've watched Judas throughout his life and we're convinced that he's the choice because of his heart, that he's the one chosen. It wasn't like, oh, poor Judas, he just got the raw deal. No, Yah's watching his heart. And, and the same reason for the disciples that Yah sees the hearts that are seeking God and, and they say, Yeshua, this one, this one, this one. And because they've seen to that point, they're convinced that they'll follow Messiah and they'll continue in it. But we've watched him and people would say, well, how is that fair? But again, are you God? God knows Judas. He's seen Judas since birth. He's watched his decisions, his, his actions, his mind. Yah is in the perfect position to choose somebody that this is the one chosen. And it is fair and just because who are we to talk to a perfect being that can watch somebody's life and be convinced that this is the one that's going to do this than God. So a lot of those times we got to be careful to where we, well, if it was me, well, it isn't you and you're not God. So just trust that Yah knows what they're doing and that it is fair because did Judas do what was to be done or did he not? Well, he did it because they know the heart. They're perfect at it. And this is the one. And people may say, well, Judas didn't have a chance. Yeah, he did. He could have repented and not did what he did, but he chose not to. And that's the righteous judgment of God. And just like the word says, who were we to, does the, what does it say? Does the one formed talk to the potter and say, why have you formed me like this? <laughs> you can do that, but, but you're not just. But that was the main thing. It's just the witnesses that are there. God is a witness that, that they know what it is and they know. So be confident in Yah that, hey, Yah speaks on my behalf. I'm, I'm not, I don't need to justify what I'm doing, that the word of God makes it clear. Well, when we take God and we can put God to a, like we said, like in the courtroom, the perspective, you have the defense attorney, the prosecuting attorney, the judge and the jury. 
And you have the bailiff and stuff too. I mean, you could take us to all angels. Well, yeah, well, I mean, the bailiff, can... yeah, the bailiff obviously would be the angels. Uh, I know what you mean. I was just so just putting it to the aspect of in the court. I uh, and it it fits and fills all the parts of God, and that's the beauty part about this is that the white throne judgment. This is what we're going to have, and you're going to have, I uh, Abba is the judge. You're going to have Messiah, who is the defense attorney. You're going to have the, uh, you're going to have uh, the enemy, who is the prosecutor. And you're going to have mother, who is the jury. Okay? And so, you have defense attorney, judge, and jury, and they will be biased to the God perspective. They must be because that's what it's about. And it's what's best for everybody. And so with the enemy being the prosecutor, he's going to prosecute. But like you said uh, about uh, making judgments and <clears throat> when, do you, when do you have in a court where the prosecutor or the, yeah, the prosecutor just uh, pronounces sentence on the person who's being tried. They just sit there and he's guilty of what he did and he's going to go to jail for this many days or for this many years. No, you have the trial first, then the verdict. Well, it doesn't matter because that's not his anyway. He would be held in contempt of court because that's not, you're trying to be the judge then where you're saying this is what he deserves and they, and he's going to get, but you don't see that in an organized court in this world. And you're definitely not going to see that in the court in God. Now, the prosecutor is going to be uh, prosecuting all those that didn't have, or they're, he's trying to prosecute everybody, but Messiah being the defense attorney is going to say, okay, well, yes, some of these are guilty or a lot of these are guilty, but this one's with me, this one here. And he will display the evidence that you gave through your life that then gave the proof that you had faith in him. But look at it. And this is what happens. I, uh, throughout the world in churches is the prosecutor is cross-examining and well it's okay to be cross-examined because if you know the truth and you always speak the truth then it doesn't matter because you're always going to speak truth and you won't be caught in a lie because a lot of times that's what the cross-examination is for was uh, I'm going to figure out where you were lying and then, or I think you lied here. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a different question about the same thing and see if you answer the same way or you answer differently. It's kind of like that trick question thing. And here's the thing, your pastor in your church, your leader in your mosque, your, your uh, Dalai Lama, they're not going to be in front of you 
in that white throne judgment. The judge is going to be in front of you. And the jury will weigh the evidence. Okay, well, let's see the evidence. Okay, you say that didn't we cast out demons and do all these things in your name? Well, here's the evidence that you never knew me. Get away from me. You 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 are ushered off by the bailiff to the abyss. And one by one. Here's what's interesting, okay? In courts, especially in this country, the objective goal is to either prove guilt or innocence, okay? That's not the objective goal in the final in the final uh, courtroom, which is the white throne. The white throne room, when everybody's there, it is not about guilt or innocence. It is about obedience. Even Paul said uh, he was talking in reference to this from the perspective of, you know, I, I'm not guilty or I'm not, yeah, I'm not guilty, but I'm not innocent in these matters. I can't remember exactly how the wording of that scripture is. Yeah, it was like it doesn't. I know what you mean. It's like he says it doesn't make me innocent. And I actually thought about that before that we're declared not guilty. But if we say we're innocent, that that means we've never sinned, which we have. So we're not innocent, but we're not declared guilty because of faith in Messiah. Messiah was the only innocent one. Right. And so it's not about guilt or innocence. It's about faith, and faith in God is displayed in obedience to their law, their commands, their, their speaking to you, Sean. Go talk to this person, and you go talk to them. Okay, well, that, that's what they're going to be uh, looking at. And so nobody better than God to do that and when you're in that white throne that white throne room your pastor your friend Sean speaking to you me i will not be standing there as your defense attorney so the objective goal is that if i say something that sounds good if I say something that makes logical sense, if I say something that lines up with the truth of God, you verify it with God. You make sure with God because Messiah is going to be the one. God is going to be the one there. And if you're standing before God, why did this? Because Philip said, well, where's Philip now? Because... It's about our objective of obedience. And if we walked in obedience to God, and obedience is not perfection, it's a mindset of absolution of doing everything God said to do. That means the Old Testament law until we die to that law. And then we have circumcision of the heart where we can then walk in the spirit of it, but we still walk in the law. We uphold the law because it's necessary. If we don't uphold the law, 
we don't show obedience to God. And it's just a transformation of being under the law to the spirit of the law. And in that, you can't just trust on the Bible. You have to trust in mother who's going to give you the interpretation. Oh, no, not interpretation. Mother's going to give you revelation so that you understand and you know what's necessary. And all of this stuff compiling up to the the evidence you want to give God is not about innocence because we are all guilty. We, we all have sinned and, fall, and have fallen short of the glory of God. And if you have sinned once, you're guilty. So God's not going to declare guilt or innocence because we're all guilty. But did you get to the place where you didn't sin anymore? Okay. Not where you don't carry guilt in this life because you don't sin. But in that aspect, it's not about guilt or innocence. All the evidence will be pointing to either you obeyed God and you get the blessing of the kingdom or you disobeyed God and you get the curse of the abyss, the burning eternal in hell. It's, it's one or the other, but it's based not in guilt or innocence. It's based in the, the obedience or disobedience to God. And I can be uh, where we are in a place of not having sin in my life, but that does not make me innocent. Because I don't sin, does not make me innocent because I've sinned in the past. I'm guilty and I carry that guilt all the way through. But what exonerates me in this body of flesh is walking in obedience to God, walking in accordance with their will and their way. And in order to do that, I have to use more than just one resource as the Bible. And I'm not talking about a resource of man. Yes, you can use what man says as a resource. But if it doesn't line up with what the Bible says, then you have to take that resource and throw it in the trash. That's not evidence or that's evidence of garbage. So I'm throwing that in the garbage can. It doesn't line up with the Bible says. I, I asked God about it, and God said this, and this is how it lines up. And so the objective goal, again, is obedience. And this, is, this just came to mind with the woman caught in adultery. That's what Messiah did as her defense attorney was to point out to her not guilt or innocence in what she did, but to point out if you want to be in the kingdom, be obedient, obey God, because he says, I don't condemn you. That doesn't mean she's not guilty. She knew she was guilty, but I don't condemn you. Well, go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. Okay. He just gave her the, the key that it's not about guilt or innocence. It's about you 
getting away from sin. And all sin is disobedience. If you know you sin, you know you're being disobedient to God, and therefore you are guilty. You are guilty of sin. And there puts the guilt in the aspect of disobedience. So in essence, when God's looking at obedience and disobedience, that will be the determination of guilt or innocence, not how you lived your life or not not what you did in your life and how much money you gave or how much money you didn't give or whatever it is. Obedience is innocence. Disobedience is guilt. That's what God's going to judge it on. And that's why it will be easy for them because they know what they've in, in your life, what you did, where if you were obedient or if you weren't obedient. And so that's the, the uh, perspective within when you're at the white throne and we have those representations all the way through with the angels and all the different aspects, like you said, with the angels being the bailiff and think about uh, you, the angel of death who holds the key to the abyss and he's going to open up that that jail and uh, his soldiers are going to usher everybody into that uh, place where nobody will be able to escape it. I, I got a, a vision of this from God. I'm going to share with you and with everybody that the, the, the picture of the courtroom and I had a scripture come to mind and I had a different picture of this until now about the scripture when it says many people will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do all kinds of miraculous signs in your name? And when Messiah says, and I will state to them plainly, get away from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, it made me think of the, like you, y'all had given about laying this out. So the enemy is there and you see, he sinned against you. He, he's, he's a sinner. And then Messiah says, and they go to Messiah as, well, Lord, help me. No, get away from me. Because just because the accuser says, no, you're a sinner. No, I accepted Jesus as Lord. Lord, didn't I do all these things? And he's get away from me. I never knew you. And from there, remember when Messiah, this just clicked in my mind in the scripture. And he says, anybody who denies my name before men, I will deny his name before my father. And I was like, Denying his name before men means you don't walk as he did. You're walking in disobedience to God. Therefore, you're de denying his name before men because you say his name, but you walk in disobedience. So because you profess my name before men, I will before my father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. And mother is there. And no, he's a sinner. He didn't have circumcision of the heart. So it goes to the judge. That, and that's why Messiah said, I don't condemn you because my father has the place of setting that condemnation. You're condemned. So I'm not doing that. I'm telling you how to get away from being condemned. Well, really, he says you're condemned already because you haven't, if you don't believe in my name. But I just, I was just sitting there like, and then have you seen this in a jury trial? All right. The, the person wins the case. Like meaning that we win the case, we're with Messiah, where well, you hug and you cheer, and then you're ushered off, you get to leave the courtroom, but the other side, they take you, handcuff you, and you go off, and that's the end of it. 
and you don't get to yell and scream before the judge, hey, get him out of here. Uh, we're not listening to that. You're, you're not going to yell and scream at me. And the courtroom, just like different examples that Yah's given, just another example to be able to understand this. I never, until just sitting here being given that, the aspect of the courtroom and that because the jury, they just sit there quietly and they just weigh the evidence. So mother being the Joan on quiet spirit, she's weighing the evidence and she's like, no, th this one has gotten away from sin. They have circumcision of the heart and all three together work together in the judgment. It's not just the father and the son, but I never thought of mother as the jury that you're just sitting there. You're not getting all upset or anything. You're just quietly watching. And I know that this one is with my son and I agree with my son. I agree with my husband and it goes all around that, no, you're righteous and fair. This one's with me. And then I can see Messiah saying, father, this one is with me. And mother says they have circumcision of the heart. And then therefore welcome into the kingdom. And you go on in, you don't need to sit there and justify, well, yeah, I did this and I didn't do that. And I never thought of it from the obedience aspect, because if you're obedient and you did right, then you just, nothing else I can say at this point, because we're at the judgment day, but it's the people that are wrong that are going to Messiah because, well, why are you doing all this? Is that you think that something you did justifies you being here? No, you didn't follow my way. So therefore you're out. Just another, this is just a great example. And Yah uses a lot of this stuff, but just to give more understanding of how the process works. Well, think about just that scripture that you brought up that on the final day that many will come to me. One side is coming to Messiah knowing and owning their guilt. The other ones are pleading that they're innocent. The ones that are, well, didn't we do all these things in your name? We're innocent. We're innocent. Where the ones who are going to get into the kingdom are going to say, no, we're, we're, we're guilty of sinning. And then Messiah says, Yes, but you've proven that you're innocent through obedience. And so it, it just that just kind of hit me as you were uh, talking about that, that one side is trying to profess their innocence by we did all these things, we're innocent, where the other side was no. And then and the scripture that came to mind was the thief on the cross. I know my guilt. I know I'm guilty. I know. Just, just, you don't deserve this. I do. Just remember me in your kingdom. That's the humble attitude that those that are guilty in the presence of God and know they're guilty, but have walked in the innocence of obedience. That's the heart of humility that they'll have where they won't be trying to profess this great uh, thing that I had in this faith in God rather than, no, I, I know the guilt of who I was and I know that I deserve hell and Yah gave me the opportunity to walk in obedience. And so it's just really, uh, that was just, that, that came to mind when you brought that scripture out. Well, and just getting back to what mother had to start with, with, do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that why would you go to Messiah like that? 
unless you had doubt. Well, didn't I? Because when he said, didn't I do this? Didn't I? So you don't know if you did? You just, uh, as opposed to, well, I'm just going to sit quietly because I'm sitting here. I know that because I don't have a guilty conscience that I know that I've sinned in the past, but I know I don't sin now. So I don't need to go before God and say, God, 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 like that. It just, it, that just hit me that if you knew it, then why are you saying, Lord, didn't I? Oh, you don't know? Are you doubting that you, you thought you did? And then therefore you didn't know your faith. And then therefore, well, if you didn't know it, then you didn't have it. So it, that just came to mind. I wasn't even thinking about that. Well, both, both thieves on the cross, right there with the Messiah, they both represent what's going to be at the white throne judgment. You, you have one of arrogance and one of humility, because remember, the one side was like, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And didn't we? And the other side's like, Lord, when did we do those things? When did we? I uh, feed the hungry. And when did we, when, when you did this to the least of your brothers, you did this for me. So there's just showing in those two aspects, the two different thieves on the cross. One was the arrogance and one was the humility. And it's the, the humble perspective that's going to get you into the kingdom. Being convinced. This is a double-edged sword being convinced because you can be convinced of something that is not true. And if you let yourself be convinced, the odds are you're not going to change your mind. So you've got to be really careful at what you finalize of what you're convinced of because convinced is a term of absolution. I am convinced there is no doubt that this is the way it is, but many people have done that with the faith journey and not just in Christian circles in uh, all the other religions as well, that you, you convince yourself by accepting things that aren't true and aren't right. And once you're convinced in your mind like that, it is a very difficult thing for you to overcome. This is where the aspect of cognitive dissonance comes from. Because you've been convinced of something that's not true, you can't get away from it because you're convinced. You let something convince you that, well, I just accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and I'm going to be okay. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I'm going to be okay, even though I, I don't weigh the evidence of sin and guilt and all these things that come into play in obedience because I've, well, somebody's convinced me that this is the way it is, and that's what brainwashing and mind control is all about, is you being convinced by that repetition and this is where we put caution on the side of people who are seeking with all of their heart that know that being convinced is a double-edged sword. So make sure that what you're convinced of is absolutely true with absolution verified by the Bible and God 
uh, and their their uh, truth and justice and mercy and everything that makes them God, their perfection. Make sure before you settle the issue, and if you have to go to God 50 times because you want to be sure, they have no problem with that. None at all that you can do that, and because they know that you're doing it because you really want to be sure before you set your mind in something, because once your mind is set, That's where cognitive dissonance comes from because I can put the proof in front of you and you will still reject it. Here's an interesting fact, okay? And this is fact. Whether somebody will accept it or not, well, that's up to them. But there's a good chance that there might be people who don't accept it, but it doesn't matter because this is fact. Christians are convinced that Christianity is the way to God. But they are not convinced in their faith. They are convinced that Christianity, that's how you want to get to God. No different than the Muslim who is convinced and the Hindu who is convinced. Well, the Hindu, they believe you become your own God, but they all the religions that are out there fall under this same category. And that's why it's important to make sure that you're following the one true uh, aspect of God, which is the life of Messiah, because you need to be found innocent with obedience to God. And as we look at being convinced Christians as well as others are convinced that their religion is right, but they're not convinced in their faith in God. And I know this uh, from Christianity because I walked in it. I know the doubts that are riddled within Christianity. I know the times where you're away from other people other Christians, and you're doing stuff that you know is not right, and why am I doing? I'm not supposed to do this. Why, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand. And the question of, well, I accepted him as Lord and Savior, but I don't know. It just it, something's not right. But then you go back to. Listening to what other people, oh, don't worry about that. Everybody does that. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. This is like a deal breaker <laughs> that, that you want to make sure that you're convinced, but you're convinced of from God, the Bible, and spending time with them, then you are convinced by man and even us as we speak these things. I'm not speaking them and you're not speaking them to convince other people. What we will do is we will be convincing by us just living the truth of God, but for them to be convinced, they have to accept the evidence, weigh the evidence, decide what evidence is garbage, what evidence isn't, and you can't go by feeling because what feels good 
is going to get you because in the end, it's not about what felt good. It's more about what didn't feel good, but you decided to push through because you knew it was right. And so this is a huge aspect because you don't want to get locked into cognitive dissonance. And this is why if you have somebody in Christianity like we were, that they believe in Christianity, their faith in Christianity is there, and they've convinced themselves of it, but it's not the true faith in God. They're, go ahead. Or even uh, Paul, when he was saw before Paul, that he was convinced that he was doing what was right. And when did he get the Messiah with convincing to him and then him getting that visit of Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Oh, I didn't realize that. And the word makes it clear about having zeal without knowledge. Well, zeal means I'm absolutely convinced and I'm going to do this, but then make sure you have the information correct because Hitler had zeal. Hitler was convinced. I mean, we've had different examples of this, but was it from the truth of the God perspective of, you know, well, you're convinced, but you're convinced because the truth is there and you've weighed the evidence to make sure you're doing what is right. Because when did Paul, well, when did Saul then turn to Paul was, okay, now that you see by revelation, now I'm going to show you the things that you're going to suffer from my name and you're going to be doing this. And Paul didn't go, no, it's not true that you've got Messiah coming to visit you. And I know he met me on the road to Damascus and I know what he told me. So I'm, I'm convinced I know now. So now I'm going to go and preach this gospel. Well, he didn't do that until God came to him, but it just came to mind as you were talking that he was convinced, <clears throat> but, and we know this, we know when God spoke to us to start the church, it isn't, well, um, I think that it was, I know because that voice was there. I heard the voice, you heard the voice like that. So it's, and we were, and we've said this before, we're not bashing Christianity. It's not that at all, but you, you don't have enough information to, well, there is enough information. You've just got to seek it out, but it made me think of, we were there because I remember I had a Bible that I wrote inside the Bible. I, I was driving in my car and if I remember right, I pulled over and I was like, all right, I know I've accepted Jesus numerous times, but I'm going to make sure this time that I accepted him and I know it. Well, why did I do that? Because I wasn't sure. And I wrote down on this day, Sean accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I remember writing that in there with the date. And why did I do that? Well, because this, this is it right here. But then in my lower conscience, I know I'm not doing this, but something's wrong because I know it accepted. But why am I doing all these things? Because... I wasn't sure. And that would be in the after, like after you signed that Bible, mm -hmm. like days or weeks later, correct? Yeah. It's just because the exact time I don't know, but it, it was there because why when I was in another place I lived that I made a decision, but then why am I doing it now? Because, well, I know that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And not that I'm consciously all the time, but in your lower conscience, you're like, let me just make sure I accepted Jesus because those things that I did, that that doesn't, let me just make sure that I'm safe. And, and we're not the only ones that have done things like this. People, many people do that, but that's the thing though. The point of this is get to a point where you're convinced, but you're convinced because you've weighed the evidence of truth. You verified it with God. 
And then there are things that you will know about God, but there is still continual process of faith that you're not going to know everything. So this is a call to people that if you're wavering in your faith, really evaluate this because true faith in God isn't meant to be where you're not convinced or why I think, or I believe it, it's to get past that to a point where you can have confidence that, no, I, I am convinced that this is right. And it's right because Yah verified with me. It's in the word of God. It lines up with the truth. It lines up with the Bible that don't just take somebody's word for it because we know that from what the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick when you're convinced of something that you're going to get it and you're convinced to where I know I'm going to get it in your mind and you don't get it. There's no worse heart sickness than, and that's why the Lord, Lord, because I thought I was going to get it. And you have this huge letdown. Well, be convinced by the truth first so that you don't have the letdown and you don't have to go through that experience. Well, you ever work for a company where they would give bonuses at the end of the year and the end of one year you get this like say $1,500 bonus and it varies from wherever you work, but you get a $1,500 bonus and it was like, man, this is good. But then they, they, so you set your expectation that next year I'm going to get at least $1,500 and you get $50. How does that make you feel even with no explanation and a bonus is a bonus. If it's a dollar bonus, and a lot of people would be like, oh, you just keep that. But it's a bonus. It's extra anyway. And if I want to give you 1500 or 50 what's it matter? It's, it's extra than what you've earned. So be grateful for the extra you get with that. The danger with the aspect of uh, being convinced of something being right, but not being convinced of the faith in God, is that if you're convinced that Christianity is right, then you can't be convinced about the truth of God. You have to let one or the other go. You have to let Christianity go or you let God go because you're convinced that Christianity is the way to the kingdom or uh, the Muslim religion is the way to the kingdom or whatever it is that you're thinking is the, the path. If you're thinking that that is right, then you're not going to be able to accept the reality of truth that comes from God on these areas. And this is why that you might tell somebody in Christianity, do you sin? Well, yeah, we all sin. Well, I don't sin. Huh, so you think you're better than everybody else? No. Just because I don't sin doesn't mean I'm not guilty. It, it just means that I, I don't sin. With this aspect, when you're convinced of something, I can put the evidence. All right, Christian, the Bible says in him, you claim you're in him, you claim you sin. You claim that nobody can get away from sin. But the Bible says in him there is no sin. 
if you sin, you are a sinner, just like shadow of a doubt. If there's a shadow, if it, even if there's a, a, the tiniest little bit, it still makes you a sinner. It still makes you doubtful if there's the tiniest little bit of doubt. And so your, uh, your sin in your, your acceptance and you're convinced of Christianity, you won't accept the fact that you can find a place that you don't sin. And here's the beauty part for us in this, is that we walked on the other side. We walked where they are, so we know what they're thinking and how they're thinking it. The problem is, is you haven't walked on our side yet. And you want to you want to uh, say something about what we're doing? Fine. Walk where we've walked first. Take your faith to that that level. Depart from Christianity. Make God the center. All these things, and then you'll be able to line up. Then you make a decision of whether what we're doing is right or wrong. But you can't just because you haven't found a place where you can't sin doesn't mean that I can't. Doesn't mean that I haven't found that place because you can't tell me what I've experienced. I can ask you, do you sin? And you'll say yes, not you, but in Christianity. Well, the Bible says in him there is no sin. And then you try to justify that because you are convinced of Christianity. I've got to somehow twist the truth of God so that what I'm convinced of stays in place rather than saying, wait a minute, God's a greater authority than any other religion, and so I'm going to go off of what God said, not what man said, and man's uh, depiction of what the truth is, and I'm going to figure it out through those avenues and that perspective so that I don't get locked into something of being convinced. And because there was a time where I was convinced of Christianity, and I did the exact same thing. I was convinced that it was right, but yet for a time not paying attention to the differences between the truth of God and Christianity until I started to recognize and say, wait a minute, the word of God says this and they say that. I'm going with what God says. I'm not going with what you say just because you profess your this uh, authority on this. I'm going with what the Bible says. And then I would go through and I would see the Bible says in him there is no sin. Well, I'm going to find a place where there is no sin because that's what the Bible says. And if I want to be in the kingdom of God. And here's the thing when we talk about in faith, is there a shadow of a doubt? See, there's a lot of people in Christianity that do not have a shadow of a doubt about Christianity, but about their faith in God, as I said before, they have doubts many times, if not repetitive, you know, at least a couple times throughout the year, if not more often than that, of being locked in to thinking that Christianity is the right thing but yet still having doubts. And again, this isn't just Christianity. This reaches out to anybody who claims faith in God. 
that you make sure you've humbled yourself and you're praying and you're turning from your wicked ways. And for you to turn from your wicked ways means you have to get away from sin. So you have to be, let the Bible be your guide and not man, because the man that has an experience not being in a sin-free life cannot tell you how to have a sin-free life. It's an impossibility because they haven't experienced it. We've experienced it, and we can we can guide you on the journey, but there's no guidance on a journey if you're already convinced of something and you're not willing to let that go. This is why people have a lot of psychological problems within the core of who they are because they have they they have things that don't seem right, but they're convinced that they're right, and so they continue to follow that same pattern, knowing something's wrong, but because of their programming, they're convinced because they accepted this as true, and when you accept it as true, that's where you convince yourself that it's true, and our objective goal is to put this truth out there and get people to really evaluate whatever faith you have, whatever faith in the world. And again, not just Christianity, any faith, even with us, that we're taking everything that we, every thought we have and not just thinking, yeah, that's true. Cause I have faith in God. I don't sin. No, no, we get a thought about something. Okay, let me weigh that against the word. I, I see somebody on a, a video say something. I, well, that sounded good, or no, that's not right. I'm not going to conclude that, except, well, that doesn't sound, or that sounds like it could be, but I won't know unless I go to the Word, go to God, verify, clarify, and then then I will get the convincing from God, not from man. So it's really important. And here's a place that I want to really put importance on is the shadow of a doubt. If you, well, did I really? And you know, you won't tell other people, some people you may tell, but generally you'll keep this to yourself, that you know when you doubt what you have as faith in God. You don't doubt your Christianity, but you doubt your faith in God, and it should be the other way around. You should doubt Christianity and make sure that you don't have any doubt in God. But in order to do that, you have to be skeptical. And the key is, is that any shadow of a doubt about your faith in God for salvation, any, at any point you're laying in bed and, you know, I just not sure, you know, having a brother come to me, you know, I just feel like I'm spiritually dead and then turn around and leave the conversation because, oh, my back's hurting because you're hearing truth and then getting nothing out of it. Why? Because it's not what he wanted to hear. He he didn't want to hear that aspect. That's not my problem. Why? Because... And where is he now? Right. I mean... 
I mean, and just, and not to, to look at you, but your, your back is hurting your support that, and you have a support issue because what weight are you carrying? And uh, just want to add that, that, that not just him, but anybody that look what can happen with decisions that you make, there's cause and effect and everything. Right. And again, for anybody who's seeking with all of their heart, the challenge is for you to stop being convinced about Christianity and set it all aside. No matter, and not just Christianity, whatever religion you have, you set it aside because even with the Muslim, there's an aspect of doubt because the core of their faith is, is that God decides anyway, your, your, your birth, your death and your eternity are all set before you're even born into this life. And with that, you can't have a security of faith in God to get to the kingdom because, well, God's already made the choice anyway. Yeah, but we, well, we try, we follow these five pillars of faith for what? If God has already decided you don't have a choice, you're not going to be able to do it. And therefore you're going to have those doubts that are lingering in your mind of, and I just, man, and a doubt could be just this, man, I, I hoped it, I, I, I'm going to be in the kingdom and I'm going to get those seven virgins and you know, whatever it is, but there's no absolute when it comes to your salvation there. The only absolute when it comes to salvation is in Messiah. That gives you the absolute. And it's important that you you believe the truth. And when you're doubting, the truth of God says that the one who doubts is one tossed by the waves. He should not expect that God would give him anything. Now, that's doubt in accordance with your faith. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have times in your life where you're going to doubt something. Just like, okay, uh, I know God exists, or I, I'm convinced that God exists, and I pray to God about doing this thing. That can fall in line with, well, God, I know you have the power to do this, but will you do it for me? Help me with my unbelief that, that I'm not sure if you're going to do this for me, so help me with my unbelief. And then they help you with your unbelief. But you have to have faith because faith is what gives us the presence in God and faith in God, not faith in Christianity or faith in uh, the, the Muslim religion or the um, Hindus or the Buddhist or the, the um, Unitarian. I don't care where you go with it. The reality is, is that there's only one way, and that is through Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua the Savior, the Deliverer. That is the only way, the way of Messiah. And Messiah made this clear. If you go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where you have the red letters, no more important than all the others, but the words of Messiah, he speaks about these things. He speaks about being sure. He speaks about making sure that you're careful in what you take in so that on the final day, that you won't be one being ushered off 
I, they, he talks about, you know, the Bible talks about the abomination that causes desolation. You know, people are thinking, waiting for this big event and don't realize that there are many abominations that cause desolation. The, the Muslim religion is an abomination that causes desolation. The Christian religion is an abomination that causes desolation. The Hindu religion is an abomination that causes desolation. Why? Because you are believing the lies that lead you to a desolate place. You're not believing the truth that leads you to a, a flourishing land of milk and honey. And to get to the land of milk and honey, you're going to have to go through some pretty bad territory. Trust God, obey God, and don't worry about it. Let God be your guide. Again, and the reason, one of the biggest reasons to bring this out is so that maybe people, with people who are seeking with all of their heart, who really want to know the truth of God, that they will get that point where they recognize the doubt that they have or that they've had. And then they'll just start to dig in and not be satisfied until they settle the issue of removal of doubt. And you have to do it piece by piece as you go on the journey. And I had my doubts in the uh, Christianity, but I can tell you as, as it pertains to faith, since I've had circumcision of the heart, and this is going on six years now that in six years, not even the slightest little shred of, well, am I really, am I really right? Is this really the right? No, because I know I am. I, I am fully convinced, but I'm convinced because of the evidence that has been compiled on God's behalf. And that's what we need to do. And in order for somebody to get past and away from cognitive dissonance, they're going to have to weigh the evidence and the truth of God. So if at any point, no matter what religion you follow, that you find yourself in that quiet place of, well, I'm not sure. And you know what doubt is then you have to know you're not there yet. You haven't made it there yet because you still have doubt. And until you figure how to remove doubts from your faith in God, you're not going to be able to be there. And this is important because many people I know, they won't profess it out loud, but they'll internally, just like you said, you're driving in your car by yourself and Mother's impressing on your on you that, hey, really need to look into this. Now it's okay. I, I've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm all right, or uh, I'm I'm committed to this Muslim religion. So it's 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 okay. It's right. No, there's only one way, and that is the way of Messiah. And Messiah, you can go just on what Messiah spoke about, and he spoke the gospel message. He spoke obedience to God. He knew that he came to be an example that we should follow in his footsteps. What did he say? 
I do everything the Father tells me to do. I walk in full obedience to the Father, and if we're going to walk in his footsteps, then we have to walk in full obedience to the Father. And when we're walking in full obedience to the Father, you don't have doubts of faith. You don't have those doubts of, well, I'm not really sure. And and it's okay if you have those doubts right now, but if you don't correct them, that's where it's not okay because you don't want to carry those doubts into your death when you part this world. Because when you part this world, the decision's made. You will either go to Abraham's side or you will go to the place of torture, the, the holding place until the final judgment. It's up to you. Don't ignore the doubt. The doubt is there to drive you to figure it out so that you can remove doubt. And that's my uh, plea to anybody who claims faith in God, no matter what religion you're claiming. When you get to doubt, when it comes in, use that to recognize that something's wrong. I'm not doing, I'm not in line with God. And then you have to decide if you're willing to go through whatever it's going to take in order to be right with God, in order to have that doubt removed, because it's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. The understanding of it and what to do is simplistic, but to get past yourself, to get past of what you've already convinced yourself of, to get past that cognitive dissonance, it's the battle of wills. It's you against you. It's what's in your conscious mind against what's in your subconscious mind. And in your conscious mind, you have to have the mindset, it's a battle of wills, and my conscious mind, I will win. I will never give up on this. I will never surrender because that's what it's going to take. And it does get easier as time goes on, but it gets easier because you build strength. It's like if you walk uh, six miles, you you just start walking today. You, you haven't walked in your life before for long distance like that, and you walk six miles. Well, it's going to take you a real long time because you're, by the time you get to mile number three, you're starting to drag. And then it's, so it's going to take you a real long time. But after you've walked six miles for eight, nine years, then you get better at enduring it and you walk it quicker and quicker and quicker and we've done that with the walking that we've done. And we didn't start out walking six miles. We started out walking shorter distances, one or two laps. And then, hey, why don't we, why don't we add some to this? You know, we're getting to where, you know, we're doing this good and it's taking, uh, it's taking time away from us talking about God if we're getting done quick. So let's add another lap. And then, you know, we get up to six miles and at some point we could add more. Just the more you do it, the more uh, accustomed you come to it and you're able to do it better. And that's the way it works in this faith. But you have to get away from the doubt. And the only way to do that is to seek God with all of your heart. Recognize that you have things that you've convinced yourself of in the past and you decide that I'm not going to 
let those things convince me anymore. I'm going to go into a deep evaluation of what I've been convinced of, even from worldly things. You've been convinced that somebody's your enemy when they're really not. And so you just start digging into everything so you can figure out where you've been convinced of something that wasn't appropriate. If it was appropriate, then keep it. Not a problem. As long as it lines up with truth and the right aspect of God, then keep it. And each individual, they can say to other people, I don't doubt. But the reality is, is that they do doubt. I had this thought, Paul with King Agrippa, that with Paul's message, King Agrippa said, you almost convinced me to be a believer. And Paul says, short time or long, doesn't matter. And just made me think of it's up to Yeah, we can just um, we can just end right here. But yeah, it just made me think of just summation. This is that uh, we are to convince, but it's not about delaying. Uh, it's a, but it's not about rushing. That if you need a lot of time to weigh the evidence, if you really need it, or if you've weighed it and you've waited enough, that Yah is patient. So just like that, Paul's not. Well, you need to do it now, but you need to be diligent in it. But if you need time to look at this evidence, make sure you look at it the very best you can before you make any kind of decision. And just FYI for people listening that um, we're on a time constraint with this pod being that we're limited to uh, 120 minutes. And that's why we're ending right now because we don't have the complete unlimited perspective. So the podcast can only be two hours long. So we're going to end this for today. A lot more we could talk about, but it's just the reality of truth of God. So see God and There'll be no outro music on this one. Have a good day, everybody.